0: Section One of Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coeurdelou de La Clue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section One, Letters One to Five. Letter One: Cecile Volange to Sophie Carnet at the Ursulines of you see my dear friend that i keep my word to
1: you and that bonnets and frills do not take up all my time there will always be some left for you however i have seen more adornments in this one single day than in all the four years we passed together and i think that the superb tenville will have more vexation at my first visit when I shall certainly ask to see her, than she has ever fancied that she afforded us, when she used to come and see us in Fiocchi.
0: Note, T'enville, a pupil at the same convent.
1: Mama has consulted me
0: in everything. She treats me much less as a
1: schoolgirl than of old. I have a waiting-maid of my own. I have a room and a closet at my disposition and I write this to you at a very pretty desk, of which I have the key, and where I can lock up all that I wish. Mamma has told me that I am to see her every day when she rises, that I need not have my hair dressed before dinner, because we shall always be alone, and that then she will tell me every day where I am to see her in the afternoon. The rest of the time is at my disposal, and I have my harp, my drawing, and books, as at the convent, only there is no mother perpetue here to scold me, and it is nothing to anybody but myself, if I choose to do nothing at all. But as I have not my Sophie here to sing and laugh with, I would just as soon occupy myself. It is not yet five o'clock. I have not to go and join Mamma until seven. There's time enough if i had anything to tell you but as yet they have not spoken to me of anything and were it not for the preparations i see being made and the number of milliners who all come for me i should believe that they had no thought of marrying me and that that was the nonsense of the good
0: josephine Note the portress of the convent However,
1: Mamma has told me so often that a young lady should stay in the convent until she marries that, since she has taken me out, I suppose Josephine was right. A carriage has just stopped at the door, and Mamma tells me to come to her at once. If it were to be the gentleman, I am not dressed, my hand trembles, and my heart is beating. I asked my waiting-maid if she knew who was with my mother certainly she said it's monsieur K, and she laughed oh i believe this he i will be sure to come back and relate to you what passes there is his name at any rate i must not keep him waiting for a moment adieu how you will laugh at your poor Cecile! oh i have really been disgraceful but you would have been caught just as i when i went in to mamma I saw a gentleman in black standing by her. I bowed to him as well as I could, and stood still without being able to budge an inch. You can imagine how I scrutinized him. "'Madame,' he said to my mother, as he bowed to me, "'what a charming young lady! I feel more than ever the value of your kindness. At this very definite remark, I was seized with a fit of trembling.' so much so that I could hardly stand. I found an armchair and sat down in it, very red and disconcerted. Hardly was I there when I saw the man at my feet. Your poor Cecile quite lost her head. As Mamma said, I was absolutely terrified. I jumped up, uttering a piercing cry, just as I did that day when it thundered. Mamma burst out laughing, saying to me, "'Well, what is the matter with you? "'Sit down and give your foot to Monsieur.' "'Indeed, my dear friend, the gentleman was a shoemaker. "'I can't describe to you how ashamed I was. "'Mercifully, there was no one there but Mamma. "'I think that, when I am married, "'I shall give up employing that shoemaker. "'So much for our wisdom, admit it. "'Adieu!' It is nearly six o'clock, and my waiting-maid tells me that I must dress. Adieu, my dear Sophie. I love you, just as well as if I were still at the convent. P.S. I don't know by whom to send my letter, so that I shall wait until Josephine comes. Paris, 3rd of August, 17...
0: Letter the 2nd the marquise de merteuil to the vicomte de valmont at the chateau de
2: come back my dear vicomte come back what are you doing what can you be doing with an old aunt whose whole property is settled on you set off at once i have need of you i have an excellent idea and i should like to confide its execution to you a very few words should suffice, and only too honoured at my choice. You ought to come with enthusiasm to receive my orders on your knees. But you abuse my kindness, even since you have ceased to take advantage of it, and between the alternatives of an eternal hatred and excessive indulgence, your happiness demands that my indulgence wins the day.
0: Note the words Roué and rouri which are now happily failing into disuse in good society were much in vogue at the time when these letters were written
2: i am willing then to inform you of my projects but swear to me like a faithful cavalier that you embark on no other adventure till this one be brought to an end it is worthy of a hero you will serve both love and vengeance it will be, in short, one ruerie de more to include in your memoirs. Yes, in your memoirs, for I wish them to be printed, and I will charge myself with the task of writing them. But let us leave that and come back to what is occupying me. Madame de Volanges is marrying her daughter. It is still a secret, but uh, she imparted it to me yesterday. And whom do you think she has chosen for her son-in-law? The Comte de Gercourt. Who would have thought that I should ever become Gercourt's cousin? I was furious. Well, do you not divine me now? Oh, dull brains, have you forgiven him then the adventure of the intendant? And I? have i not still more cause to complain of him monster that you are but i will calm myself and the hope of vengeance soothes my soul
0: note to understand this passage it must be mentioned that the comte de gercourt had deserted the marquise de merteuil for the intendante de who had sacrificed for him the vicomte de valmont and it was then that the marquise and the vicomte formed an attachment as this adventure is long anterior to the events which are in question in these letters it seemed right to suppress all that correspondence you have been bored a hundred times like myself
2: by the importance which Gercourt sets upon the wife who shall be his and by his fatuous presumption which leads him to believe he will escape the inevitable fate you know his ridiculous precautions as to conventional education and his even more ridiculous prejudice in favour of the discretion of blondes in fact i would wager that for all that the little volange has an income of sixty thousand livres he would never have made this marriage if she had been dark or had not been bred at the convent let us prove to him then that he is but a fool no doubt he will be made so one of these days it isn't that of which i'm afraid but it would be pleasant indeed if he were to make his debut as one how we should amuse ourselves on the day after when we heard him boasting for he will boast and then if you once formed this little girl it would be a rare mishap if Gercourt did not become like another man the joke of all paris for the rest, the heroine of this new romance merits all your intentions. She's really pretty; it is only fifteen. tis a rosebud, gosh! in truth, incredibly so, and quite without affectation. But you men are not afraid of that. moreover, a certain languishing glance which really promises great things Add to this that I exhort you to it. You can only thank me and obey. You will receive this letter tomorrow morning. I request that tomorrow at seven o'clock in the evening, you may be with me. I shall receive nobody until eight, not even the reigning Chevalier. He has not had enough for such a mighty piece of work. You see that love does not blind me. At eight o'clock I will grant you your liberty, and you shall come back at ten to sup with the fair object, for mother and daughter will sup with me. Adieu. It is past noon soon i shall have put you out of my thoughts paris fourth of august
0: seventeen letter the third cecile volange to sophie carnet
1: i know nothing as yet my dear friend mamma had a great number of people to supper yesterday in spite of the interest i took in regarding them the men especially, I was far from being diverted. Men and women, everybody looked at me mightily, and then would whisper to one another, and I saw they were speaking of me. That made me blush. I could not prevent myself. I wish I could have, for I noticed that, when the other women were looked at, they did not blush.' Or perhaps 'tis the rouge they employ which prevents one seeing the red that is caused by embarrassment, for it must be very difficult not to blush when a man stares at you. What made me most uneasy was that I did not know what they thought in my regard. I believe, however, that I heard two or three times the word pretty, but I heard very distinctly the word gauche, and I think that must be true for the woman who said it is a kinswoman and friend of my mother she seemed even to have suddenly taken a liking to me she was the only person who spoke to me a little during the evening we are to sup with her to-morrow i also heard after supper a man who i am certain was speaking of me and who said to another we must let it ripen this winter we shall see "'It is perhaps he who is to marry me, but then it will not be for four months. "'I should so much like to know how it stands. "'Here is Josephine, and she tells me she is in a hurry. "'Yet I must tell you one more of my gaucheries. "'Oh, I am afraid that lady was right. "'After supper they started to play. "'I placed myself at mamma's side. "'I do not know how it happened, but I fell asleep almost at once.' I was awakened by a great burst of laughter. I do not know if they were laughing at me, but I believe so. Mamma gave me permission to retire, and I was greatly pleased. Imagine, it was past eleven o'clock. Adieu, my dear Sophie. Always love your Cécile. I assure you that the world is not so amusing as we imagined. Paris, 4th of August, seventeen.
0: letter the fourth the vicomte de valmont to the marquise de merteuil at paris
3: your commands are charming your fashion of conveying them is more gracious still you would make us in love with despotism it is not the first time as you know that i have regretted that i am no longer your slave and monster though i be according to you i never recall without pleasure the time when you honoured me with sweeter titles <clears throat> indeed i often desire to merit them again and to end by setting with you an example of constancy to the world but greater interests call us to conquer is our destiny we must follow it perhaps at the end of the course we shall meet again for may i say it without vexing you my fairest marquise you follow it at least as fast as i and since the day when separating for the good of the world we began to preach the faith on our different sides it seems to me that in this mission of love you have made more proselytes than i i know your zeal your ardent fervour and if that god of ours judged us by our works you would one day be the patroness of some great city whilst your friend would be at most but a village saint this language astounds you does it not but for the last week i hear and speak no other and it is to perfect myself in it that i am forced to disobey you listen to me and do not be vexed depositary of all the secrets of my heart i will confide to you the most important project i have ever formed what is it you suggest to me to seduce a young girl who has seen nothing knows nothing who would be so to speak delivered defenceless into my hands whom a first compliment would not fail to intoxicate and whom curiosity will perhaps more readily entice than love twenty others can succeed and these as well as i that is not the case in the adventure which engrosses me its success ensures me as much glory as pleasure love who prepares my crown hesitates himself betwixt the myrtle and the laurel or rather he will unite them to honour my triumph you yourself my fair friend will be seized with a holy veneration and will say with enthusiasm behold a man after my own heart <laughs> you know the Présidente de tourvel her piety her conjugal love her austere principles she it is whom i am attacking there is the foe meet for me there the goal at which i dare to aim et si de l'obtenir je n'emporte le prix j'aurai du moins l'honneur de l'avoir
0: entrepris Note, La Fontaine.
3: one may quote bad verses when a good poet has written them you must know then that the président is in burgundy in consequence of some great lawsuit i hope to make him lose one of greater import his disconsolate better half has to pass here the whole term of this distressing widowhood mass every day some visits to the poor of the district morning and evening prayers solitary walks pious interviews with my old aunt and sometimes a dismal game of whist must be her sole distractions i am preparing some for her which shall be more efficacious my guardian angel has brought me here for her happiness and my own madman that i was i regretted twenty-four hours which i was sacrificing to my respect for the conventions how i should be punished if i were made to return to paris luckily four are needed to play whist and as there is no one here but the cure of the place my eternal aunt has pressed me greatly to sacrifice a few days to her. You can guess that I have agreed. You cannot imagine how she has cajoled me since then, above all how edified she is at my regularity at prayers and mass. She has no suspicion what divinity I adore here i am then for the last four days in the throes of a doughty passion you know how keen are my desires how i brush aside obstacles to them but what you do not know is how solitude adds ardour to desire i have but one idea i think of it all day and dream of it all night it is very necessary that i should have this woman if i would save myself from the ridicule of being in love with her for whither may not thwarted desire lead one oh delicious pleasure i implore thee for my happiness and above all for my repose how lucky it is for us that women defend themselves so badly else we should be to them no more than timid slaves at present i have a feeling of gratitude for yielding women which brings me naturally to your feet I prostrate myself to implore your pardon, and so conclude this too long epistle. Adieu, my fairest friend, and bear me no malice at the chateau de fifth of August,
0: seventeen letter the fifth. The Marquise de Merteuil to the Vicomte de Valmont. Do you know,
2: Vicomte, that your letter is of an amazing insolence, and that I have every excuse to be angry with you? But it has proved clearly to me that you have lost your head, and that alone has saved you from my indignation like a generous and sympathetic friend i forget my wrongs in order to concern myself with your peril and tiresome though argument be i give way before the need you have of it at such a time you to have the Présidente de tourvel <laughs> the ridiculous caprice i recognize there your froward imagination which knows not how to desire aught but what it believes to be unattainable. what is the woman then regular features if you like but no expression passably made but lacking grace and always dressed in a fashion to set you laughing with her clusters of fichu on her bosom and her body running into her chin i warn you as a friend you need but to have two such women and all your consideration will be lost remember the day when she collected at st roche and when you thanked me so for having procured you such a spectacle I think I see her still, giving her hand to that great gawk with the long hair, stumbling at every step with her four yards of collecting bag always over somebody's head, and blushing at every reverence. Who would have said then that you would ever desire this woman? Come, Vicomte, blush too and be yourself again. I promise to keep your secret.' and then look at the disagreeables which await you what rival have you to encounter a husband are you not humiliated at the very word what a disgrace if you fail and how little glory even if you succeed i say more expect no pleasure from it is there ever any with your prudes i mean those in good faith reserved in the very midst of pleasure they give you but a half enjoyment that utter self-abandonment that delirium of joy where pleasure is purified by its excess those good things of love are not known to them i warn you in the happiest supposition your presidente will think she has done everything for you if she treats you as her husband and in the most tender of conjugal tit tit you are always two here it is even worse your prude is a devote with that devotion of worthy women which condemns them to eternal infancy perhaps you will overcome that obstacle but do not flatter yourself that you will destroy it victorious over the love of god "'You will not be so over the fear of the devil, "'and when, holding your mistress in your arms, "'you feel her heart palpitate, "'it will be from fear and not from love. "'Perhaps if you had known this woman earlier, "'you would have been able to make something of her, "'but it is two-and-twenty and has been married nearly two years. "'Believe me, Vicomte, when a woman is so encrusted with prejudice it is best to abandon her to her fate she will never be anything but a puppet yet it is for this delightful creature that you refuse to obey me bury yourself in the tomb of your aunt and renounce the most enticing of adventures and with all one so admirably suited to do you honour by what fatality, then, must Gircourt always hold some advantage over you? Well, I am writing to you without temper, but for the nuns I am tempted to believe that you don't merit your reputation. I am tempted, above all, to withdraw my confidence from you. I shall never get used to telling my secrets to the lover of Madame de Tourvel. I must let you know, however, that the little Volange has already turned one head. Young Danconi is wild about her. He sings duets with her, and really she sings better than a schoolgirl should. They must rehearse a good many duets, and I think that she takes nicely to the unison. But this Danconi is a child who will waste his time in making love and will never finish. THE LITTLE PERSON ON HER SIDE IS SHY ENOUGH, AND IN ANY EVENT IT WILL BE MUCH LESS AMUSING THAN YOU COULD HAVE MADE IT. WHEREFORE I AM IN A BAD HUMOR, AND SHALL CERTAINLY QUARREL WITH THE CHEVALIER AT HIS NEXT APPEARANCE. I ADVISE HIM TO BE GENTLE, FOR AT THIS MOMENT IT WOULD COST ME NOTHING TO BREAK WITH HIM. I AM SURE THAT IF I HAD THE SENSE TO LEAVE HIM AT PRESENT, HE WOULD BE IN DESPAIR and nothing amuses me so much as a lover's despair he would call me perfidious and that word perfidious has always pleased me it is after the word cruel the sweetest to a woman's ear and less difficult to deserve seriously i shall have to set about this rupture there's what you are the cause of so i put it on your conscience Adieu. Recommend me to the prayers of your lady president. Paris, 7th of August, 17.
0: End of section one.